Welcome to Stop Christian Nationalism, a podcast dedicated to the resistance against those who want to destroy American democracy and replace it with a Christian dictatorship. Why am I making this podcast? Christian nationalism is a grave danger to American democracy and to the physical safety of people not only in the United States, but around the world. Christian nationalists are not being coy. They are telling us exactly what they want to do. This week, Christian nationalist Dalton Clodfelter announced a plan to smash American democracy and replace it with an unforgiving Christian dictatorship. He said this, If we want to take back the country and reestablish a Christ-like nation, a nation where the national religion is Christian, a nation where the national language is English, a nation where pornography is banned, homosexuality is banned, and transgenderism is banned, where you will never see a college that isn't a Christian college, the only college acceptable, and that you are able to go to is a Christian school, because every school in these United States should teach that of Christian values. Every school should teach the Ten Commandments in elementary school. Every school should promote what it means to be a Christian to the youth of America. It cannot be any other way. There should be no secular teaching in the schools. As we hear Dalton Clodfelter say that, quote, there should be no secular teaching in the schools, unquote, we should clearly understand what the word secular means. There is no such thing as a secular ideology. Christian nationalists talk about secularism as if it's their enemy, but there is no such thing as secularism, really. To be secular is to simply stand apart from religion in certain realms of life. Being secular does not mean that you abandon religion or oppose religion necessarily. The word secular simply refers to things that are not connected to religion. So religious people can be secular. To them, being secular just means that they recognize that there are parts of life where their religious beliefs and religious identities do not define and control everything that's going on. It's like if a person is a college professor, okay? Being a college professor is great, but most people can understand that being a college professor is not all that there is to life. There are non-academic parts of life for a college professor. Like, let's say, for example, being a member of a kayaking club. A kayaking club is not anti-academic. Kayakers don't seek to outlaw academia. However, if a college professor joins and participates in a kayaking club, that professor does acknowledge that the kayaking club is not under the control of his college. And the professor isn't 
going to be uh, giving lectures or uh, uh, doing uh, school admissions to the college while kayaking. It isn't about the professor's field of study. It's a separate thing, going kayaking with friends. The professor doesn't insist that everybody there joins up with his courses. He doesn't try to control it. He doesn't try to make it about his life as a college professor. Being secular is like that, okay? Being secular simply means that you're not trying to cram religion into every single part of your life and forcing everyone else to do the same. So when we have secular government and secular schools, that is not anti-religion. It's setting up a place that is not centered around religion. Our American democracy is not centered around Christianity or Hinduism or Buddhism or Shinto, okay, or any other religion. It's secular because our American democracy is separate from churches. It's separate from religious worship so that it can be equal for everybody. The same thing with schools. When we have secular public schools, those are supposed to be secular so that everybody can participate equally, so that you don't have one group dominating and using public schools to push their religion at everybody, which is what ceremonial deism, like the Pledge of Allegiance, does. So, when Dalton Clodfelter says that, quote, there should be no secular teaching in the schools, unquote. What he's really doing is rejecting what we were just talking about. He's rejecting the idea that there can be any part of anybody's life that can be separate from Christianity. What he's saying is that children in the United States should not be allowed to learn anything other than Christianity. He's saying that the teaching of science and math should be outlawed. He's saying that no history other than the history of Christianity should be taught to our children. He's saying that when students learn the English language, which will be the only language anyone is permitted to use to obtain government services under Christian nationalism, they will be taught English only through the use of Christian religious texts. Dalton Claudfelter wants American children to grow up in ignorance of anything outside of Christianity. Why would he want to do that? It's a terrible kind of education. It's about what matters to Christian nationalists. Christian nationalism seeks the complete elimination of all rivals, religious and secular, to their form of Christianity, their form of Christianity, which is not what all Christians believe. The idea here is about gaining totalitarian control of society through the use of violence. Dalton Claudfelter himself says that. He said this this week. Once we take control, we will identify our enemies and we will stomp them into the dirt. 
they will not be able to return to power. We will rip them from their offices. We will rip them from their homes for being degenerate liars. Degenerate. That is a word that the Nazis used to describe their victims. And as for the lies that Dalton Claudfelter is talking about, that's just people disagreeing with him. It's people choosing not to follow Christianity. It's people having a different kind of point of view. The only way that he can see that is that it's degenerate lies. Well, as Dalton Claudfelter says, he doesn't seek to merely escort people out of their offices or remove them from their homes using the due process of law. No, the Christian nationalism that Dalton Claudfelter is talking about wants to rip. Christian nationalists want to tear. They want to physically attack, humiliate, and disempower every person who dares to disagree with their Christian nationalist ideology. As Dalton Claude Felter says, quote, we will stomp them into the dirt, unquote. That is an authentic voice of Christian nationalism. How could any person wish to do that to another human being? Well, here's the really scary thing. Christian nationalists don't believe that non-Christians are human beings. One of the religious beliefs of Christian nationalism is that any person who disagrees with Christian nationalist dogma or refuses to obey the commands of Christian leaders is not truly a human being. No. Christian nationalists believe that people who disagree with them have been possessed by demons, demonic spirits of evil that control everything that the opponents of Christian nationalists say and do. Christian nationalists believe that I am possessed by a demonic spirit. In Christian nationalism, demons are not a metaphor. Demons don't just represent symbolically some kind of unhealthy, unhelpful way of thinking or urges that we have. No, Christian nationalists literally believe that demons are magical beings that are real, who have been created for no other purpose than to be evil. And who created these demons? Well, Ultimately, in this ideology, the only conclusion you can come to is that the Christian God created all of these evil demons. The Christian God created everything, after all. Now, of course, Christian nationalists don't like to think about the moral implications of that. But this week, Christian nationalist Lance Wallnau sent a message to his followers declaring that a demon's dark, magical influence explains all of the troubles that the Republican Party has been having recently. 
Here's what he said. It's the communist spirit, virtually, in the, in the American progressive Marxist movement. Same stinking communist demon working through Marxism in the American progressive woke culture. Same thing. All power in the government, all nerve endings going into one centralized command, a spirit coming over them, making you the enemy. And the only way this can be excommunicated out of the, the, the chapel of Washington is if we do an exorcism. And the exorcism means we're going to have to cast the devil out. Wow. Um, you know, for the record, Washington, D.C. is not a chapel of Christianity. It is the capital of our secular democracy. Now, I want you to think about what Lance Wallnau just said. What you heard him say just right now. Do that and you'll see it doesn't make any sense. Marxism, woke culture, progressivism, and being a demon. These are the things that he's talking about. He's talking about them all as if they're the same thing. But these things are not conceptually compatible with each other. They're all things that Lance Wallnau doesn't like, but well, that doesn't mean that they go together. It doesn't mean that they are identical. Marxism is a materialist political philosophy. Okay, It rejects all supernatural beliefs. Marxists do not cooperate with demons because they don't even believe that demons exist. Okay? The phrase communist demon is a contradiction in terms. Now, I don't like anchovies, okay? You know, the little fish that some people put on pizza? I don't like anchovies. And I don't like vodka. That doesn't mean that anchovies are a kind of vodka or that anchovies are possessed by and controlled by the spirit of vodka. They're different things. You understand this, but these kinds of logical distinctions apparently are foreign to Christian nationalists like Lance Wallnau. Christian nationalists are not brought up to understand the structures of rational thought. They are instructed from a very young age simply to believe whatever people in positions of power tell them to believe, whether it makes sense or not. They're told to dismiss their doubts. They're told to have faith that in the end, somehow, it's all going to make sense. They're told that it is not their job to worry about the logic of what they've been told to believe because their God works in mysterious ways. Then they're told that they will burn in a lake of fire for eternity, forever, if they refuse to believe. This is done to children. You know, the problem isn't just that Christian nationalists are cruel, that they want to hurt people, that they want to destroy America's freedoms to obtain power for themselves. It's also that Christian nationalists have problems with basic 
competence. They can't think clearly. Anger and an inability to think clearly are a really dangerous combination. That combination leads people to accept outrageous ideas and then to become so stubbornly attached to them that they seek to warp the reality around them in order to fit their beliefs, to fit their faith, to fit their outrage and anger and pain. So it is that Christian nationalist and Newsmax personality Grant Stinchfield, instead of pursuing a rational analysis of political issues, declared this week that an ancient Middle Eastern desert spirit named Satan has traveled to the United States and gained supernatural control over the Democratic Party. Yes, he really said that. So I think we actually have Satan at play here. We are being attacked by Satan, and Satan has taken over, in many respects, these people like Nancy Pelosi, like Joe Biden, uh, like Chuck Schumer, and the likes that are waging this war on us, and you can go to George Soros and the rest of the billionaires that are also pulling the strings. These people are devious. They are not well-intentioned. That's a lot to take in, the idea that um, Satan has somehow spiritually possessed uh, Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, uh, the Democratic Party. But let's try to think about this. How does um, Grant Stitchfield really know that that's true? I mean, he's going on television, national television, and saying this. How does he know that this satanic possession has actually taken place? How does he decide that a magical evil spirit has possessed the leaders of the Democratic Party. Well, okay, if there were scientists and they suspected that a person had contracted a disease, they uh, would take out their precisely designed and empirically tested methods for finding pathogens that are known to cause disease. And those pathogens have been discovered through oh, decades and decades of scientific research, really carefully. Religious people don't have any time-tested methods for knowing if a demon is at work. The signs of demonic possession and devilry and Satanism are actually pretty vague. Um, like somebody feeling upset about something or somebody being rebellious against Christianity. Someone uh, maybe saying something that fails to conform to the harsh and narrow worldviews of Christian leaders. Hmm. That might not be demons. It might not be Satan. But Satan and demons and the devil and all of that, they're perceived by Christian nationalists as in play whenever they encounter ideas that don't fit within their strict little Christian dogma. It's an intuitive judgment. They just feel it by gut. Instead of trying to rationally understand something that they are unfamiliar with and maybe trying to learn from it, 
Christian nationalists label anything other than this little tiny set of ideas that they're familiar with as demonic, categorizing them as pure evil. Whenever there is something their religious dogma cannot explain, they declare it to be the product of supernatural evil spirits, and they double down on their faith instead of questioning it. So here's the thing then. No amount of facts or logic that we bring to them can contradict a religious system that categorizes every kind of doubt as a trick from wily demons. There is no allowance for uncertainty in Christian nationalism, which is why Christian nationalists hate democracy. They hate cultural pluralism, and they support the creation of a totalitarian theocratic regime. For them, obedience and morality are the same thing, and so all those who refuse to obey Christian commands must therefore be on the side of demons. Well, this week, Christian nationalist Kent Christmas gave a sermon in which he said that everyone who refuses to join in with Donald Trump is on the side of the devil. This Christian nationalist frame demands absolute obedience without ambiguity so that when the time for action takes place, Christian nationalists will be able to give commands and know that they're going to be obeyed without hesitation. Here's what Kent Christmas said. There is no more gray area. You're on the side of Jesus Christ or you're on the side of the devil. You are in between. You're not an undecided. Undecided means you have already decided. You've already made the decision. And so the court of heaven today only recognizes the authority of the kingdom of God. So every other power that is in the earth and every other authority that exerts itself outside of the kingdom of Jesus Christ is an illegal authority. That means it has no right to enforce what it wants to enforce. So much of what you're seeing today, God does not recognize every need shall bow at the name of Jesus. Barbara Streisand is going to bow at the deity of Jesus Christ. George Soros is going to bow at the name of Jesus Christ. Joe Biden is going to get on his little feeble knees and he's going to bow at the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Nancy Pelosi will bow at the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every liberal Supreme Court judge will bow at the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. All these people are going to be forced to bow to the Lord Jesus Christ? 
Really? Well, okay, where is this Lord Jesus Christ? You know, I hear the voice of Kent Christmas. I hear the voice of Christian nationalist leaders who are gaining power for themselves. I don't hear any voice of the Lord Jesus showing up. Nobody's seen him around. All we see are the Christian nationalists. So let's keep our eye on the ball here. Let's remember what Christian nationalists really mean when they talk about people being forced to bow at the name of Jesus Christ. There's no direct evidence that anyone named Jesus Christ ever actually existed. There are no writings from the time when Jesus is supposed to have lived that refer to any such person. And the details of the supposed life of Jesus are suspiciously similar to older stories from other cultures of the lives of uh, mythological heroes and gods from all around the Mediterranean region. Stories that the early Christians would have been plenty familiar with. Certainly, nobody has seen any Jesus walking around today. Jesus never showed up on the evening news to explain his ideas about contemporary politics. No, we hear the voices of Christian nationalist leaders doing that. So, when Christian nationalist preachers talk about forcing people to bow to Jesus... You know, they're actually really talking about forcing people to bow down in submission to the human leaders of Christian nationalism. These preachers will happily take the place of Jesus and enjoy watching political leaders being forced to bend their knees in obedience and submission to them. It's all about power for them. It's about humiliation of other people. And that kind of naked hunger for power seems detestable in most circumstances, but Christian nationalist preachers place their demagoguery in the frame of a righteous war against pure evil, against magical demons. As Kent Christmas himself says, once you convince people that their human enemies are in fact demons— Quote, there is no more gray area, unquote. And those demons that they perceive, that's us. There's no gray area when it comes to what they're going to do to us. Think about what that means. This rhetoric of demons, a literal demonization, it is designed to cultivate an absolute obedience through the dehumanization of all who refuse to obey the leaders of Christian nationalism. Imagine a scenario here. You're out walking in the woods. What would you do if you came upon a human being when you were out walking in those woods? You might be a little bit nervous, a little anxious, but you would probably wave your hand to show that you're friendly. You might say hello. You would be inclined to be friendly. Now, on the other hand, what would you do if you came upon 
a demon while you were out walking in the woods. It wouldn't be the same thing, would it? You would either run away or you would fight. You would fight like your life depended upon it because you would feel terror. You would feel, because of that, justified in doing anything to that demon in order to escape its clutches because you would believe that it existed for no other reason than to do you harm. You would feel justified in physical violence against that demon. You would feel justified, even to the point of killing it. It's not murder after all, is it, if the thing that you're killing is a demon and not a human being? Well, the Christian nationalists are calling us demons. They're calling Democrats, LGBTQ people, non-Christians, demons. Think about what it means when Christian nationalist leaders like Kent Christmas and Grant Stinchfield tell their followers that Democrats are demons and not human beings. The purpose of the Christian nationalist language that describes people, human beings, Americans, as demons. The purpose of this is to get Christian nationalist believers into the mindset of combat, of violence, to perceive other Americans as inhuman, evil enemies who must be destroyed, Christian nationalist leaders are preparing their followers to commit violence against non-Christians, violence against Democrats, violence against LGBTQ Americans, violence against anybody who refuses to obey, against anybody who stands in their way. Using language like this is one step in the planning of a genocide. That excommunication that Lance Wallnow talks about, the thing that he's calling for is a bloodbath. That's what that excommunication is. The basic definition of Christian nationalism seems really simple. It's this. Christian nationalism is the belief that America is a Christian nation, not a culturally diverse secular democracy. Okay. Now, in the abstract, especially if you're a Christian and you're inclined to believe that Christians are just a bunch of nice people who like to pray and go to church on Sundays, the idea that the United States is a Christian nation well, that might not be that troubling to you on its own. But the thing is, that belief does not come on its own. It comes along with a lot of other ideas. There is a greater problem within Christian nationalism. It comes from the origin of the belief that the USA is a Christian nation. It doesn't begin with the founding fathers of the United States. That belief, I know it seems a bit crazy, but American Christian nationalism, the roots of it are far more ancient than the United States itself. 
The Declaration of Independence is a baby compared to this. Okay? American Christian nationalism begins in the Christian Bible at the very beginning of it, in the book of Genesis. Christian nationalism, you see, it's not just a generic attempt to use the power of the federal government to promote Christianity above all other religions. It is that, but it's something more. Christian nationalism is a religious doctrine that arises out of a profoundly racist reading of the Christian Bible. Now, there are people who claim that Christian nationalism is just an imposter Christianity, that somehow Christian nationalists are fake Christians. The racist ideology that fuels Christian nationalism, though, is not a new invention. It's a part of a centuries-old Christian tradition that was accepted in the mainstream of Christianity as a literal historical truth until science and secular historians proved that it was a load of nonsense. This doctrine is known as the curse of Ham, and Christian nationalists link it with the founding of the United States of America. The curse of Ham is why Christian nationalists believe that the United States is a Christian nation. Let's take a look at a particular preacher who can help us to see that. We're going to listen to some of his sermons. Last month, just last month, Bill Grady, an evangelist who preaches at the Fellowship Baptist Church in Maryville, Tennessee, was defending this racist doctrine. Okay, and here's what Bill Grady had to say. The race card, everybody jumps. It is a Bible position. When you when you push when you attack you white people for white privilege and and white white power and white this and white that, listen, that's an attack on God. He said the Europeans were going to be the folks that were going to run the world one day, and it was ultimately get to, to, to get it energized spiritually to get the gospel to the world. I mean, that's who 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 sends more missionaries out than America and Britain used to, and now it's America. That's the plan that God had way back in Genesis nine. Okay, look, I want to acknowledge something. This is really hard to hear people talking like this, and I get that. I had someone saying to me just today, you know, they don't like to hear about this because it's just emotionally troubling. It's troubling to hear this preacher talk like a Nazi. But here's the thing. These Christian nationalists are not just talking. They are planning, and they are planning practical actions, and some of the actions they've already undertaken. They are moving right now to take over our American free government and to change it to something that we just can't recognize. So I ask you to have patience as we go through this, because I think it's important to stand, important to understand where it is that they are coming from so that we can understand what we have to do in response. And we're going to talk about that at the end of the episode. That's also really important. But for now, let's think about what Bill Grady just said, what this preacher just said. For the record, if you look at 
chapter nine of Genesis. Um, it doesn't say anything at all about any kind of prophecy that Europeans are going to rule the world. That's not actually what it says. Genesis chapter nine does say that Noah, yeah, the guy from Noah's Ark, it says that Noah liked to get drunk and lay around naked a lot and that he also lived to be 950 years old. Okay, uh, that's, that's credible. But hey, what does any of that have to do with Europeans ruling the earth? It's going to be difficult for most people to figure that connection out. But if you were raised in Christian nationalist communities, okay, the connection will actually probably seem pretty obvious to you. It might seem difficult to argue against. Bill Grady is making a reference here to a centuries-old Christian belief that there were these three sons of Noah that became the fathers of all of the people who live in Europe, Asia, and Africa. Okay, there was one son named Japheth, and he was believed to have been the ancestor of all Europeans. And another son named Ham was believed to have been the ancestor of all Africans. And the, there was a third son, Shem, who was supposed to be the ancestor of all Asians. Okay. Now, just, just let's look at that belief for a second. According to this belief, Ham was cursed by Noah because Noah got drunk and laid around naked and Ham giggled at it. I mean, for this, he was cursed. As a consequence of that curse, according to this doctrine in Christianity, all of the descendants of Ham were categorized by the Christian God as an inferior race of people who should be owned as slaves. That that's why African people, it's okay to enslave them. This story embroidered, developed out of chapter 9 of the book of Genesis in the Christian Bible was one of those Bible verses used by Christians in the American South to justify what they did to the people that they enslaved. This is pro-slavery Christianity, and it is alive and well and being preached in American churches today. This belief, by the way, is completely unsupported by historical facts and scientific evidence, okay? Of course it is. There was no Japheth, no Ham, no Noah, no Shem, from whom all the people of the world were descended living just a few thousand years ago. That's just mathematically impossible to, to say that these people existed and did what is described in the book of Genesis, to say that that's real is willful ignorance. Willful ignorance, however, is often a significant element in what people like to call faith. You get people to believe in outrageous things, and then sometimes you can get those people to do outrageous things as well. This sermon by Bill Grady is worse than just being factually wrong, though. It's, 
ideologically malicious. Bill Grady uses this doctrine of the curse of Ham to teach Christian congregations that their racial prejudices are divinely inspired and morally righteous. Okay, and you need to understand this. Bill Grady does not just preach at one church. He started two churches himself, but he travels all around the United States. He gets himself invited to other Baptist churches, and he preaches at those churches to spread this Christian nationalist theology that is pro-slavery, white supremacist, He preaches his message of white supremacy over and over again, teaching it to new generations of young people. Bill Grady is obsessed with this hateful ideology. In fact, Bill Grady says that to deny white supremacy is to deny the Christian God. In his view, white supremacy is not a problem. It's a promise made in the Christian Bible that Europeans are going to rule over the entire world. Bill Grady believes that it's okay for Christians to be racist because the Christian God himself is a racist. He draws this connection explicitly in a separate sermon that he gave in May of 2022, this year, just a few weeks ago, at the Clover Hill Baptist Church in Chesterfield, Virginia. I want you to picture that church full of people listening to Bill Grady giving this sermon. God said he was going to enlarge Japheth, not Shem and not Ham. See, that's a hate crime. All people aren't the same. God was going to use Japheth's descendants as the enlarged race. And that's what all this charge of white supremacy and white privilege. You got a problem with that. Go talk to God. He put that in the Bible a long time ago. But you've got to get the spiritual explanation for it that you never hear anybody talking about. Bill Grady dismisses complaints of white supremacy as if they're irrelevant because they're not biblical because it's not biblical to complain about white supremacy. As far as Bill Grady is concerned, upholding Christianity is more important than upholding basic human decency. So, because he believes that his God tells him that white people are naturally entitled to power over everybody else, he's going to go along with that racist agenda and spread it to his followers. You know, here's the thing. Just because something biblical doesn't mean that you have to believe it. And you always have a choice. Bill Grady has a choice. The congregations that he is preaching to, each one of those people, they have a choice. When they are confronted with something ugly and demeaning and dehumanizing and white supremacist like this, and told that they have to believe it because it comes from the Bible, well, you know, This is a test of moral character, and they can choose to believe in anything, no matter how horrible it is, because they put the Bible first above everything else, or they could put their human decency first and make that the test of what Christian preachers are telling them to believe. This is not just a problem with Bill Grady. You're hearing his voice. But, you know, white supremacy is rife. It is common in American churches today. 
especially those that align with explicit Christian nationalism, but not just in those churches. Christian nationalism is not something that can be separated from this kind of racism either. It is inherently, inevitably racist because it is based upon and obsessed with a concept of nationhood that is ethnically defined. The problem arises out of Christianity's anxiety with the idea of the chosen people. Who are the chosen people? Well, Christianity is centered around the idea that there are people who have been chosen by a God to be special and so are better than everybody else and are going to have a special, excellent ride to the best stuff in the universe while everyone else gets trashed. The Christian Bible often frames this kind of chosen people concept as one that's based on ethnic identity too. Christian nationalists are not just making this up. They're getting it out of Christian theology, ancient Christian theology. In the United States of America, today, this kind of national identity does not make sense to most people. Because the United States is a pluralistic culture, both in terms of ethnic identity and religious identity. Now, many Americans are Christian, yes, but you know what? Many Americans are not Christian. Many Americans are of European origin, sure, but many Americans are not. So, to Christian nationalism, this kind of pluralism is terrifying because they believe you're either right or wrong. You're on the side of the angels or the devil, okay? It's terrifying to them because they believe in a mythological past in which all Americans were Christian and all Americans were white. It never was that way. That's a false history. But in recent decades, it is true that the diversity of Americans in terms of ethnic identity and religious identity has been increasing. Christianity in America is in decline. Ethnic diversity is on the rise. Christian nationalists can't handle that. They can't handle this diversity because their identity is based upon the idea that there is just one correct way to be human, and that's to be Christian and to be white. As Bill Grady's words remind us, Christian nationalists have been taught by their church leaders that white Christians are better than everyone else. In this context, simple equality among all ethnicities and all religious identities feels like an insult to Christian nationalists. So they talk about Christians being persecuted and white people being persecuted. But there's no real persecution of Christians or white people going on. What's happening is that white privilege and Christian privilege are no longer being universally accepted. And that freaks them out. Christian nationalists believe that they are entitled to be given more respect, better legal rights, and more power than everyone else in America. Christian nationalists like Bill Grady call protesting against white supremacy, quote, an attack on God, unquote. 
while the rest of us call that the right thing to do. Okay, you may find yourself wondering what Bill Grady's white supremacy has to do with Christian nationalism in the United States. Let's focus back in on that again. It's a nasty, racist Christian theology, that's to be sure, okay? But isn't that a separate issue, you might ask yourself? Couldn't Christian nationalists simply take out the white supremacism of Bill Grady, remove that, and just support a more simple and pure version of Christian nationalism that rejects racism? Well, unfortunately, separating white supremacist racism from Christian nationalism is not possible. The reason is that Christian nationalism and Christian white supremacy have their theological foundation in the very same part of the Christian Bible. Chapter 9 in the book of Genesis. You heard Bill Grady say this. Let's hear him again, what he has to say about this, in a sermon at the Victory Baptist Church in Clarkston, Michigan. I want you to picture this church inviting him to say these things. This was a sermon given just five days after the January 6, 2021 Christian nationalist insurrection against our democracy in Washington, D.C. That's the context for this sermon. Bill Grady in this sermon explains how white supremacism and Christian nationalism have the same origin in the Christian Bible. Listen to this. People ask, can you find America in the Bible? Uh, I, I, I can find America in, in Genesis, and I can find America in Revelation. One scripture, then we'll pray and jump into things. Verse number 27, God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. Can you find America in the Bible? Genesis 9 Verse 27 is the greatest place to find America. It really is. God shall enlarge Japheth. And now, what does that mean? Most of you have uh, been saved long enough that you know what that's all about. After the flood was over, Noah uh, and his three sons and their wives came out of the boat up there, and their descendants hung around there, and their descendants hung around. They went off Mount Ariad in three different directions. Japheth, that's the one son, he goes north up into Russia and west into Europe. Now all the way across Europe, eventually crossing uh, into England through the English Channel, and then all the way across the ocean to, this, to North America. So if, you, if your parents are, are, are European, I mean, you're a descendant of Japheth, okay? In 1783, this was by the second president of Yale, Dr. Ezra Stiles, a Christian man. Ready? Heaven has provided this country, not indeed derelict, but only partially settled, and consequently open for the reception of a new enlargement of Japheth. Christians have believed what I just told you forever. Modern-day Christians are just dumb and scared of their own shadows, and they, every time somebody says, boo, they jump. And they're scared of standing with what the scriptures are teaching. God said he was going to take the white man, duh, and do something special with him. That's the idea. That's where I thought he was going. See? Bunch of wimps. Let me me read you the rest of this quote. It's mind-blowing. America, uh, Europe was settled by Japheth, 
America is settling from Europe, and perhaps this second enlargement bids fair to surpass the first. In two or three hundred years, this second enlargement may cover America with a population of 300 million. That's quite a prophecy that was wound up being fulfilled almost to the number. The United States may be 200 million souls, whites. Can we contemplate their present and anticipate their future increase and not be struck with astonishment to find ourselves in the midst of the fulfillment of the prophecy of Noah? Bill Grady's analysis is based on false history and superstition, but it shows why it is conceptually impossible to separate Christian nationalism from white supremacist ideology. The two ideologies have an identical theological origin within Christianity. They come from a racist interpretation of the ancient writings of Genesis, as if they are a prophecy of American history rather than a mythological rendering of a prehistoric Jewish past. Now, those who claim that Christian nationalism is not Christian are engaged in wishful thinking. Bill Grady's racist nationalism is cruel. It is insane, but it is thoroughly based on a Christian worldview, relying on Christian texts and Christian doctrines. It isn't shamanism. It isn't the New Age. It isn't Hinduism or atheism that inspired Bill Grady's hatred. His white supremacism is rooted firmly within Christianity. Christian nationalism arises from the particularly Christian belief that the United States is an outgrowth of an ancient Middle Eastern desert prophecy rather than a product of the Enlightenment and politics within the British Empire. It's an elaborate fantasy that supposes that Jewish people living many thousands of years ago who didn't even know about the existence of the British Isles, much less North America, nonetheless were having magical experiences just so that the United States could be created and then destroyed in an apocalypse. Because there could possibly, no, not be any other way for the Christian God to enact his elaborate schemes. Well, it's a conspiracy theory of epic proportions. And it's more than just a little bit crazy. But these kinds of beliefs are not new. They have been maintained in Christian churches through the efforts of Christian nationalists over many generations. These Christian nationalists prefer to see themselves as characters in some kind of archaic mystery cult rather than ordinary human beings, people who are living in an American democracy. They don't want to see that. For them, democracy is absent from their Christian nationalist ideology because to them, democracy is foreign it's foreign to the mindset of the Christian Bible. Of course it is. Obsessed as it is with conquest through war and the power of kings. And the people who wrote the Bible were not participating in a democracy at that point. They'd never really heard very much about it. They'd never tried it themselves. Uh, 
The Christian nationalism represented in Bill Grady's sermons was also present in earlier American history in the cruel ideology of the Manifest Destiny, which treated North America as a new Canaan, a divinely promised land that just so happened to be occupied by indigenous people. It's a Christian ideology that operates completely outside of the authority of human law under the pretense that whenever political leaders claim to have been given authority by invisible spirits, they can do whatever the heck they want. Because prophecy for Christian nationalists is always more important than government of the people for the people. So it is that enslavement and the subsequent oppression of people with African ancestry, the genocide of North American indigenous peoples, and Christian nationalism, these things have always gone together. Christian nationalism is never only about using the power of government to force everyone in America to practice Christianity. In all its forms, Christian nationalism fuels white supremacy, even when racism is not explicitly present because Christian claims to power in the United States are rooted in Christian doctrines that also justify white supremacy. So when you see in God we trust on that coin, that is supporting white supremacy. When children in public schools are forced to recite the Pledge of Allegiance with its claim of one nation under God, they are being indoctrinated in a white supremacist ideology. When we use our money within God we trust, we are pulled into a ritual Christian celebration of racism and killing through racism. When there are Christian prayers at the beginning of government meetings, that government is positioned as a defender of white privilege, white power, and white murder of other people. Whenever government and Christianity are mixed in America, the consequence has been the strengthening of racist oppression. And we're not just talking about people getting their feelings hurt. We're talking about people being killed in massive numbers, people being enslaved. That's what comes from ceremonial deism. It's not neutral, and it's not harmless. And it has multiple targets. Here's the thing. White supremacy is never just targeted at a single group. So it is that the racism of Christian nationalism does not just aim to oppress African Americans and indigenous groups, it targets Jews as well. Oh yeah, toward the end of his sermon in the Clarkston, Michigan church, Bill Grady proudly declared himself to be a racist in a tirade that slipped into anti-Semitism. Oh boy, here's what he said. Listen up. A bunch of filthy animal hypocrite people. The Grady's a racist. You all know what the word racist means if you look it up in the dictionary? Did you know what the word racist means? It shows up in 1902 for the first time in the English language in an Oxford dictionary. 
And this is what it says. The belief that different races possess distinct characteristics, abilities, or qualities, especially so as to distinguish them as inferior or superior to one. If you believe that, what I just told you about JPEth is different from the other two lines of people, then you're a racist if you believe that's true. you got to believe that they're all the same. Huh? We got any racists in the building tonight? You're forced to believe this. But see, most Christians tonight are scared to death about this subject, and they won't defend the King James Bible. They call themselves Bible believers. They're going to deny Genesis 9.27 is in the Bible. Do you know that that's what God told you to look for, to know that you're in the last days, this winnowing out thing now that's starting to happen here? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 tells you that times will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Saved people won't endure what the Bible teaches. It's too politically incorrect. Do you think all the races, all the races are the same? Are you on drugs? Can I read you what God said about how about if you hear what you're gonna hear what God says? Well, he's a racist too. How about when it comes to money? How many of you have ever been, how many have ever been into a pawn shop where the owner was a black dude and the guy trying to pawn something was a Jew? Anybody home? How many, are you learning anything? You think blacks and Jews or uh, um, whites and Jews even? Normal um, Gentiles and a Jew are on the same level when it comes to handling money? You think we're all the same? God gave the Jew a supernatural ability to make money. Duh! Ruckman used to say the reason Gentiles hate Jews so much is because Gentiles love money and Jews know how to make it. God just made them that way. You can't, you can't mess with a Jew when it comes to money. You've got to be crazy to think that. Why, you know why the Jews wandered 40 years in the wilderness with Moses? Because somebody lost a quarter. How many of you ever remember hearing that joke? That, these jokes are in our culture for a reason. You know, a few episodes back, this podcast uh, explored the idea of Christian normativity, which is the presumption that whatever is normal, that's a Christian thing. That whatever Christians do, it's normal. And not only that, whatever Christians do is good. And we have all of these stereotypes of what Christian churches are all about, and it's all sweetness and loveliness. And can I join you for a cup of coffee? And golly gee, you sure have a nice family there. But I want you to think about what the people at this church, the Victory Baptist Church in Clarkston, Michigan, were doing, inviting this guy, Bill Grady, to give this lecture to their congregation. As they listened to him, were there any protests, any objections? No, there were not. The members of that church sat there. And what did they do in response to this racism, this anti-Semitism, this Nazi ideology? They didn't stand up and walk out in protest. They applauded. Here's a quote from what someone in that church said in response to the sermon. Quote, what a blessing. Okay, unquote. Another church member said, love you, sir. The pastor, Bob Nogalski, he runs that church. He put Bill Grady's sermon online so that other people could hear it. He put it online with the comment, quote, 
It is our great desire that you will be blessed and challenged by these messages. God has blessed us through them, and we expect that you will be as well, unquote. It's not Bill Grady acting alone. At every church that he visits, he's being invited and celebrated in that same way. There was a name that Bill Grady dropped here, Ruckman. That Ruckman that Bill Grady referred to over and over again in these sermons, that's Peter Ruckman, founder of the Pensacola Bible Institute. And for his entire career, Peter Ruckman was an infamous racist who campaigned in favor of racial segregation in America. Peter Ruckman once wrote, <coughs> excuse me, quote, every reader should study the documented works on why all Negroes have to be socialists or communists while other races do not. Negroes have to be carried. Where they are left to themselves, they resort to mugging, rape, slavery, dope traffic, and eventually cannibalism. Unquote. Okay, I'm really sorry to have to read that to you, but this is not a time when we can muffle the truth, the ugly truth of what these people are saying in their churches across America. And listen to that. Peter Ruckman's racism was so extreme that he accused African Americans of resorting to slavery. The people who were enslaved by white Christians, he accuses African Americans of having a natural predisposition to enslaving other people. That's just uh, absolutely incredible, isn't it? But what's more incredible is that the leaders of Baptist churches, they know who Peter Ruckman was. And they know that Bill Grady took his inspiration from Peter Ruckman. They know what these people stand for. They know that when guest preachers praise Peter Ruckman, the message is white supremacism. Okay, now I want to be clear. Not every Baptist church in America supports this ideology, but far too many of them do. It ought to go without saying here that the stereotype of Jewish people as having some kind of supernatural, instinctual hunger for money that's more than what other people have, you know, it should go without saying that that is associated with Nazi ideology, Nazi propaganda, Nazi Germany, Adolf Hitler. It was this Christian belief in Jewish avarice, hunger for money. That's what motivated the murder of millions of human beings in the Holocaust. And yeah, it happened. I would like to say that, it, it, you know, it should go without saying that that is true. But unfortunately, Christian nationalism, even as it is promoting this old Nazi bigotry, promoting the ideology of Adolf Hitler, even as it's doing so, because Christian nationalism and Nazism rose from the same place. 
they also um, deny the Holocaust. They don't even teach about it in their churches. And it all comes from the Christian doctrine of the enlargement of Japheth and the curse of Ham in Genesis chapter 9. The anti-Semitism, the destruction of North American indigenous communities, and Nazi Germany, these all have the same sources in Genesis chapter 9 and the racist Christian ideology. In these right-wing Christian communities, the basic reality of the Nazi Holocaust is often disputed or diminished. So we can't let this go without saying we have to talk about it now because they're trying to make America into a new Nazi nation. That's what Christian nationalism is. We have to say this. Nazi ideology and Christian nationalism are two outgrowths of the same ugly, vile, cultural cancer. So, hey, all of this talk from Bill Grady and his Baptist followers, it isn't just an abstract kind of hate. It isn't just them talking. Bill Grady is urging his Christian nationalist followers to begin planning for a massive slaughter of Americans who refuse to convert to Christianity and Democrats and gay people and anybody else who stands in their way. Bill Grady and the Christian nationalists who love him, they are planning for a new Holocaust that will dwarf what happened in Nazi Germany. At the Victory Baptist Church, in another church, in another town in Michigan, this one in Heartland, Michigan, just outside of Detroit, Bill Grady issued an unmistakable threat. He is planning the genocide, he says, of one billion non-Christians. And that's just for a start. Here's what Bill Grady said to that congregation. Outside tonight, outside of America tonight, that's the Lord fixing to straighten this country up. The wicked shall be thrown and in, cast into hell, thrown into hell, and all nations that forget God. You know, those first billion body bags Revelation talks about that are going to get wiped out at the beginning of the tribulation or the second half. You know where those body bags are going to be needed? Listen, they're not going to be needed in China. That's why they're going to have a 200 million man army coming in after all those initial deaths. They're not going to be needed in India. They're not going to be needed in Vietnam or North Korea. They're going to be needed in America, England, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. Why? You got a hymn book that'll tell you why. Let those refuse to sing who never knew our God. Isn't that what the verse says in Proverbs I quoted earlier? The wicked shall be thrown into hell, cast into hell, and all nations that what? Forget God. You can't forget somebody you've never met. China never knew the God you knew. 
America knew God and told God where to go now. We're going to be the ones filling up those body bags because Peter reminds us that judgment must begin at the house of God, not the heathens. They don't know any better. They'll get theirs later. They'll get theirs later. Did you hear the pleasure in Bill Grady's voice when he said that? When he talked about how the Christians are going to be filling one billion body bags in America and other former countries from the British Empire? There is no gentle way to say this. Bill Grady has the same fundamental ideological presumptions as Adolf Hitler, and he has the same plans. Bill Grady and Adolf Hitler agree that Europeans are a master race. Bill Grady and Adolf Hitler agree that Christians hate Jews because Jews control all the money in the world and have a supernatural power to do that. Bill Grady and Adolf Hitler agree that people of African ancestry deserve to be enslaved because of some crazy thing that some kid of the prophet Noah did thousands of years ago, according to the Christian Bible. Bill Grady and Adolf Hitler both have used Christianity to justify authoritarian power and violence. Now, to be fair, Bill Grady is no Adolf Hitler. No, Bill Grady has not yet taken explicit action. Not yet to thrust the world into a massive war and genocide of millions. No, he's just preaching that message across America, spreading the word, preparing the way. It isn't that he doesn't want to do this. He's preparing. The truth is, Bill Grady is not an electrifying speaker. He meanders from topic to topic in bloated sermons that last one to two hours each, filled with irrelevant asides. Bill Grady lacks the charisma and self-discipline necessary to become a new Adolf Hitler. He struggles to make a complete sentence, okay? But his ambitions are the same. When Bill Grady talks about filling one billion body bags... Christian nationalists filling those bags with the bodies of dead Americans, non-Christian Americans, Democrats, LGBTQ Democrats, people who just get in their way, Canadians, Britons, Australians, New Zealanders of the same ilk, these human beings who've been slaughtered as punishment for refusing to follow Bill Grady's Christian nationalist religion. <clears throat> when Bill Grady talks about this, it is clear that he is looking forward to the bloodshed. This is the aim of all of his religion. Remember how approvingly Grady spoke of the idea that the Christian God cleared out North America of its indigenous inhabitants just so that European settlers could seize the land for themselves in a bloody replay of the conquest of Canaan. The actual history wasn't just a bloodless emptying of the land. It was a terrible genocide. But Bill Grady, he doesn't blink an eye at that. He thinks it's no big deal. 
To him, the slaughter of non-Christian people is something to celebrate because it gives power to white people. Bill Grady will not himself be at the vanguard of Christian nationalists leading any campaign of righteous Christian violence. There are other Christian nationalists, however, who do have the resources, and they have political savvy to make a genocide happen. The idea of genocide is extreme, I know that, but Christian nationalism in the United States has a history of genocide. Slavery, Jim Crow, those were Christian nationalist projects. People strung up in trees. People put in chains. The genocide of indigenous peoples was Christian nationalist as well. And now the Christian nationalists want to take power, absolute power this time, ending our democracy, ending the Constitution. Christian nationalists have begun to take the steps that typically come before a genocide. They have dehumanized non-Christians, depicting us as demons or witches or other kinds of evil spirits who deserve to die. They have created a media network that feeds hateful disinformation to Christian nationalists while insulating them, insulating Christian nationalists from alternative sources of information. They have established a religious culture that celebrates the firing of guns as if it's a holy sacrament. They have begun dismantling the system of democratic laws and cultural expectations that would ordinarily prevent campaigns of genocidal violence from getting out of control. Things have gotten to the point where it would be foolish to dismiss the possibility that genocide is actually going to happen. Genocide by Christian nationalists against non-Christian Americans, against LGBTQ Americans, against Democrats. This is not a patriotic movement. This is not a pro-America movement. If you celebrate the death of one billion people, many of whom are going to be Americans. That's not pro-American. And it's not just Bill Grady. Messages of genocidal intent are coming too frequently to ignore. Christian nationalists are telling us exactly what they plan to do. Just today, uh, I just happened almost randomly to come across a message from someone on Twitter called the Christian Crusader. And this person has as their um, their sort of a banner at the top of their Twitter profile a sword with a crucifix on it, cutting through, slicing apart the coexist uh, symbol that you may recognize. And here is what this Christian crusader says. This is a quote. Uh, Oh boy. Quote, We need to start a Christian crusade and begin fighting this spiritual 
and physical war that Satan, through the Democrats and other non-Christians, is taking over this country. One child at a time, public schools have been indoctrinating our children to hate God and believe in evolution. Unquote. A physical war, a physical crusade against Democrats and non-Christians. Because children believe in science, this person believes that there should be a war to kill us because there are people who believe in science. There are more people out there than you realize giving this message. They are talking about it in terms of a new civil war or a plan to divorce America. They're talking about it in churches on Sunday. And even those people who aren't talking about it, they're standing up and they're clapping and they're, they're applauding this. Christian nationalists plan to destroy America's secular democracy and replace it with a totalitarian Christian regime that's going to use its power to force Americans to convert to Christian nationalism. And those people who refuse to join the Christian nationalists and convert to their violent cause will be killed if we don't do anything about it. This is not a prophecy that I'm talking about. This is not something that is destined to come true. As much as Christian nationalists like to believe in prophecies, the future is not predetermined by invisible magical spirits or by anything that I say here. We still have the power to stand in the way of this. We can prevent this Christian nationalist genocide from taking place. We can ensure that there will never be a billion body bags to be filled. We can thwart Christian nationalism's plan to destroy American democracy. We can restore separation of church and state. We can contain violent Christian nationalism. But we're not going to stand a chance against Christian nationalism if we don't act now. We have to act now. If we wait until the Constitution fails, it will be too late. If we wait until Christian nationalists start firing their guns, start drawing blood, we won't stand a chance. The time to stand up for secular democracy and a pluralistic America is right now. One of the most important things that we can do, and I like to end each episode of this podcast with talking about what we can do to stop Christian nationalists. One of the most important things to do to resist Christian nationalism is to refuse to become like the Christian nationalists. And that's sometimes hard to do. The more frightening Christian nationalism becomes, the more essential it is, though, that we retain our attachment to the principles of democracy and nonviolence. Christian nationalists absolutely love 
the conceptual frame of war. They're hungry for it because war pushes people into absolutist, binary ways of thinking. In war, it's kill or be killed. You're either with us or you're against us. Which side are you on? Are you friend or foe? Yes or no? War can easily be exploited to justify outrageous inhumanity. People engage in widespread theft and killing and torture, campaigns of terror. They create totalitarian governments during wartime, claiming that these actions are all necessary in order to defeat the enemy. Nuclear weapons were invented in that context. The binary thinking of war leads people to divide the world into good and evil, presuming that anything on the other side, anything that they do, is the worst kind of evil, so that defeating the other side becomes the highest form of goodness, no matter what we have to do to get that job done. So because the other side is defined as wickedness itself, we can say during wartime that the destruction of the enemy must be accomplished at all costs, whatever it takes. It's no mistake that this process of characterizing one's opponents as absolute evil is referred to as demonization. The maneuver of accusing other people of being in league with demons is the definitive example of this unscrupulous technique. To accuse one's opponents of being demons or being in league with demons, that's a means of preparing to commit atrocities against them. So when Christian nationalists, when their leaders refer to us as possessed by the devil, it's a signal to the followers of Christian nationalism, that violence and other forms of inhumanity against us are not only morally permissible, but morally righteous. Some people are looking for an excuse to engage in violence. Those people, they, they really find it thrilling, even pleasurable to hurt other people. Those people do exist, but most people don't feel that way. They're reluctant to commit violence. It doesn't feel right to them. But they still can be provoked to do it. They can be provoked into violence when they feel that they are in danger of becoming victims of violence themselves. For this reason, the efforts of Christian nationalist leaders to provoke their followers into genocidal violence are less likely to succeed if we, who oppose Christian nationalism, refuse to give them good reasons to believe that we are demons, that we are the servants of Satan. If we accept the psychological frame of war and demonization, on the other hand, by demonizing Christian nationalists, instead of talking about what they actually are saying and doing as human beings... We strengthen that psychological frame. We strengthen Christian nationalism when we threaten violence 
in response, and we say it's self-defense. In wartime, everyone says it's self-defense. We can't go down that road. We need to work to stop Christian nationalism, therefore, without trying to destroy it. And I know that's a hard thing to say. But we need to block the plans of Christian nationalists and not seek to eliminate their ability to make such plans. Even as Christian nationalists are planning to eradicate us in a genocide, we have to not give in to the temptation to return fire with fire. And we have to do this not because it's the morally righteous thing and we have to be great pure people. Nobody's pure. Okay, we have to do it because it is the best tactic. It is the one that is most likely to succeed. Nonviolent democratic activism is not just the most ethical choice. It is the kind of activism that works against people who are looking for an excuse to commit genocide. So, Christian nationalists... Luckily enough, here's the thing that we can work with. Christian nationalists are their own worst enemies. Even as they become more extreme in their demands for Christian supremacy in a Christian nation that bans and brutalizes everyone who refuses to join their kingdom of God, they alienate reasonable Americans with their extremism, with their ugliness, with their hate. And the number of people who identify as Christian, that shrinks. And the number of people who are Christian, who reject Christian nationalism, that expands. People resisting Christian nationalism should not repeat the mistakes of the Christian nationalists. As Michelle Obama once said, when they go low, we are going to go high. As Christian nationalists seek to force their religion on everyone else, we can proudly stand for actual freedom of religion. As Christian nationalists work to use undemocratic and illegal means to control the American government, we are going to have to work through the legal mechanisms of democracy to push back and reassert the separation of church and state. As Christian nationalists threaten and violently attack us, we will respond with loud voices but peaceful hands through democracy and nonviolence. We have a lot of work to do, and we don't have any time to wait. It is time to stand up and not just get on social media and talk. It is time to organize. It is time for those of us who actually believe in freedom and democracy and peaceful coexistence and American pluralism to come together and to start to do the work of organizing an effective democratic and peaceful resistance. So there's a lot to do. And there's a lot to talk about. Thank you for hanging in there through all the ugliness in this episode and through its length. We're going to be coming back 
with Stop Christian Nationalism. This is a podcast that, you know, it does what its name says. We're, we're aiming to stop Christian nationalism and restore American freedom. We're coming back every week because there is so much going on. Believe it or not, this what we've talked about today is just a fraction of what's happened just within the last week. There's a lot going on, and we have a lot to talk about. Please come back next week and spread the word.